This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Essentially, um, our body wants to be a certain weight. And there are certain sort of situations where you can be pushed sort of above and beyond that sort of genetically determined set point. Um, but, but our body wants to be, you know, think, thinks this is a good weight for me to be. And that's pretty much, um, in most cases, genetically determined, you know, that I'm... Um, and it might sort of improve, in, increase slightly as you get a bit older, you know, as many people discover. Um, um, essentially, you know, your body sort of thinks, here's a good amount of fat for me to have in storage um, in order to, you know, to to maximize my chance of survival. Um, so, and I'm going to sort of get that amount of fat and I'm going to going to try and keep myself there during the course of course of my lifetime. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello, I'm Alexander McNamara, and this week, chef and author of the book The Truth About Fat, Anthony Warner, choose the fat about, well, fat. Pretty much all of us have been tempted at some point in our lives to shed some weight around our midriff, especially when we see our BMI creeping over 25. But what does this actually mean, and is it really a reliable measure of general health? He speaks to our editorial assistant, Amy Barrett, about why the body needs fat, what influences our body shape, and why there is so much stigma about being obese. The Truth About Fat, that's uh, your new book. Can you tell me about it, and tell me what inspired you to write it? Um, Okay. I mean, uh, you know... 
my writing generally derives from a blog that I started um, a few years ago, which is called The Angry Chef, which is which is about um, uh, yeah, sort of misinformation um, and and lies and sort of uh, uh, you know, assumptions and pretensions in in the world of food. Um, and, and the reasons why we get so much stuff wrong um, it, when it comes to food science and uh, and and um, you know f- food generally, so there's so many mis, mis- um, you know, false beliefs and, and, and misinterpretations of scientific evidence and, and, and that sort of thing within the world of food. And you know this stuff started to to, to frustrate me. And when I when I first started um, writing the blog, I sort of identified three areas which I I found were the most prevalent sources of misinformation. One was um, about uh, sort of fad diets and you know false beliefs about food and health. People, you know, think the sort of a <coughs> Overinterpretation of you know this this food is medicine sort of sort of um, narrative which is is, is um, very popular um, these days and, and I felt so much of that was sort of um, you know, there's, there's a lot of and there's a lot of reasons why but there's a lot of misinformation about detox diets and that sort of thing and then the second area was was really the the obesity um, epidemic um, which which I feel is obviously you know, sort of a massive part of um, public discussion and public consciousness. You know, it's, it's incredibly prevalent um, when anyone's talking about food and the food environment. Um, but I, I also feel there's an enormous amount that we, we get wrong. And actually, as I started to look into it um, uh, when I was writing the blog, first of all, I realised that you know I, even I was getting an enormous amount of this stuff wrong, not really understanding the science, sort of falling back on folk beliefs and and just things that felt right. Which didn't actually sort of match up with, with you know what what the science was telling us and what sort of leading scientists w- were telling us, um, and uh, you know I started to realise what a massive area this was and how there was you know there was just a, there was very much a, a book in, in in this in in how we're getting stuff wrong and the damage that that, that those mistakes and false beliefs are causing to people, um, and you know I felt that, that was something that, that that should be written about because there's so much written about obesity um and the obesity epidemic and and the problems that causes um but so much of it is being used as to sell us stuff and to to kind of um make us feel guilty and to sell um (laughs) political visions as well um so uh, you know, I felt that it was it was good to sort of strip all that back and 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 look at the the science behind you know, weight gain and, and why people are different weights and and really um, look at, you know, investigate all the, because basically there are lots of very, very simple explanations that people people give for um, obesity. Um, and, you know, where, the, the reality is it's a very, very complex problem. And it was kind of explaining that, you know, what well, is not simple. And when people are trying to oversimplify it, they usually, in fact, they're almost always trying to sell you something. And and uh, so that was that was um, you know that that was really the drive. But I, I suppose the real drive, the real sort of passion behind it, is that when people when we are getting this stuff wrong, it's not it's not benign. You know, it, it is extremely harmful for for large numbers of people. It does cause um, cause people a lot of uh, a lot of hurt, and it causes people a lot of 
um, illness and it causes people a lot of distress and makes people's lives, a lot of people's lives, fairly miserable. And I felt that was something that, that really needed, to, you know, we're not talking about enough because, you know, <coughs> because something must be done sort of thing. You've mentioned the obesity epidemic. Um, I wonder if you could just sort of talk now, like how, how fat actually are we as a population? Um, okay. So uh, it depends what you mean. I mean, uh, what, what, what um, is, I think you have to sort of t- strip it back, and, and with all of this, you just have to sort of strip it back because you see this, these, in, these, these, this data and this information. And I, I can't remember the exact statistics, but you know, let's say, um, let's say uh, you know, one in, I think that's right, one in three people roughly are are considered obese in the UK. Um, probably slightly more in the US. I think probably over 50 percent probably around 60 percent are considered overweight um uh, you know, which is you know, seems quite extraordinary um and, and and i guess it's quite extraordinary but then you have to sort of strip that back and say what does that actually mean and what does that mean is that you know what what is obesity obesity is when people have a bmi of of over 30 and be overweight is when people have a bmi of over 25 um and you know why why are those why are those numbers you know well the reason for that there are those numbers is because you know nice round numbers which are easy to remember um uh, you know and and the consequences of crossing from you know bmi of um 24.9 to a bmi of 25.1 which is a you know, very tiny amount of weight gain you the same amount of weight you probably gain during a single day um you know you sort of cross over into having a a, a an illness i suppose um, a lot of people would like to sort of classify it as that um which is it's just sort of strange um and that's not to say that um you know there aren't health consequences of of carrying around some excess weight but you know the actual definitions that we're using to, to sort of statistically analyze populations are problematic in 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 many ways um and uh, yeah, because they are pretty arbitrary. You know, there's just this sort of single crossover, rather than looking at an individual and saying, you know, are they of a, of a you know, are they do they have a, a lot of excess weight? Do they have a lot of excess fat? Because so, so plenty of people can can be that BMI of twenty, you know, thirty or, or twenty five or whatever, um, and be perfectly healthy. And and um, you know, it, it's there are correlations. There's no no denying that there are correlations between. Having a, a high BMI and certain um, medical conditions, you know things like um, type two diabetes, heart disease, um, uh, you know um, certain types of cancer. Um, there's no doubt that correlation is there. Um, in some evidence, some evidence in, in some of those things that that might be a, the actual carrying around the excess weight might actually be, um, you know, c- causing causing that thing but that that, that that data is not particularly um sound <laughs> for many of those things so you know there is a correlation there but you know one of the one of the things that obviously runs through all my writing is that you know sometimes the correlation is not always causation you know you're not always you know, just because someone you know populations of people who have a high bmi um have associations with certain illnesses doesn't always mean that the one thing causes the other there might be confounding factors you know and actually there might be but you know even the direction of causality might be might be the other way um you know, which which people sort of think is a slightly odd thing to say but you know it, it there's um you know, plenty of evidence that, that that our societal attitudes 
to people with higher weight um, because, um, actually are cause a lot of the problems, you know, because people are living in a in a, what is essentially a marginalised body, and they're, they're subject to an enormous amount of stress, and you know have lower life chances and, and all, all these things. And so, you know, that, that that might end up causing a lot of the problems associated with, you know, like stress and, and, and cardiovascular disease and, and these sort of things might actually be, be caused. So I think we have to be very careful in interpreting. You know, there, there, there is evidence that, that we have, you know, a lot of people who um, are carrying around what is considered to be an excess weight based on this sort of arbitrary classification system. Um, but there's, you know, not an awful lot of evidence that that has... a you know, such a direct relationship as we always assume with 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 their health. Um, yeah, for instance, you know, in terms of mortality, being overweight certainly as you get older, being overweight is generally associated with um, with a lower chance of of dying. Um, you know, and actually, the ideal, you know, certainly as you age, um, as you get sort of fifty, sixty, it, it, the the best way, you know, the, the best BMI to have to to avoid mortality is is kind of um to be be sort of slightly increasing every year uh, and probably in some cases you know, between 25 and 30 you know um that gives you the lowest sort of mortality and that, that data has been there for, for quite a long time but we have this idea that there's a certain aesthetic that people should be achieving and a really inherent belief that that uh, people are achieving that sort of aesthetic which is a you know, societally defined aesthetic but from you know most people from models and Hollywood movie stars probably, um, that people, the ways people should look and the BMI that they should be in order to look that way. And we, we kind of automatically assume that that's the healthiest someone's going to be if they're that BMI. Uh, and there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no good reason for that. You know, there's some good reason for association. But, but, but um, you know, the reality is, you know, for, for many people, this obsession that that, that, that BMI – is, is a sole marker of health is 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 not actually that helpful because it can people to sort of some strange ways of losing weight and people can end up taking you know um weight loss drugs and fetamines basically um you know or, or end up on ridiculous extreme diets or end up you know starving themselves um and lots of behaviors which aren't healthy in order to get to the to the bmi because that's considered the sole thing that defines how healthy you are mm. so is bmi ever a useful measure or, or should we kind of scrap that and, and look at something else i think i think um it was it it, it's, it has some use in in looking at populations and when it was actually you know when it was um the guy who 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 derived derived it the way of um, measuring people said that it should never be used as an individual measure it's, it's just useful for studying populations and there's some association between bmi and the amount of weight so if you want to know how much excess fat a population is carrying around generally if you look at bmi it can give you a pretty good indication that that you know of, of, of um of where you are but from an individual it's so variable depending on 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 an individual's build and depending on you know ethnic group and depending on on sex and depending on you know, all sorts of really important factors which which c- can affect the relationship between health and and, and bmi and, and body fat you know in the classic example is you know, England front England rugby forwards probably all um, are considered obese um, in terms of their BMI, but you know you probably wouldn't say they're they're um, you know it, you know desperate, all need to lose lose a load of weight. 
Um, and so it's not a useful – there's some association, but it's not useful as an individual marker of health. And I think it is problematic um, to, to, to look at people, individuals, and say measure their BMI and, and tell them something – think that tells you something about their health. You need to look at that individual. There are there are some better markers, you know, the, 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 the weights, weights to, um, um, to, to height ratios, you know, um, is, is used by, by some – some um, medical professionals is a more um, more useful measure, and actually, just just um, you know, physical observation and, and, and spending a bit of time with, with an individual and looking at them and, and sort of see, seeing how healthy they are um, is is far better. Um, but obviously, um, you know, it, it's easier to get sort of um, measurements of, of BMI. It, it, that's the problem with it. That's why it's been so. That's why it's so popular is because it's very easy to do. You know, you can weigh people and measure their height and even with patients who can't stand you can measure their sort of arm um you know their uh, i can't remember what it's called you know stretch their arms out that's roughly your height if you if you measure that and you can compare that and so you can weigh them sat down so you know even on infirm patients who who have trouble standing it's, it's very easy to get get a bmi measurement um but some sort of uh you know height to to waist circumference ratios and and you know more um involved physical examinations might be a little bit a little bit more difficult but what what you get is these ridiculous um you know ridiculous situations where people are you know people's bmi is measured especially you know, there's been a lot of i mean there's even more troubling problems with, with um children's uh measurement of ch- childhood bmi because that's not even that, that's a more complex way of of um measuring based on sort of historical data usually and, and sort of population averages because, you know, um, children grow at different rates and, and, and aren't, you wouldn't expect a, your children to have um, the equivalent, this is not, then adult and childhood BMIs are not equivalent because you know, children have, are not, you know, they're different shape essentially. Um, and so you sort of work on population averages from, you know, a certain point in history and, and whether someone, you know, so basically you're sort of saying is someone in the top five, would someone, if you take a child child's BMI and you look at the, the their age group from 1992, I think it is, would they, they have been in the top 5% in 1992? And if they are, then they're, they're considered to be sort of overweight or obese. Uh, and it's it's a very strange way of doing it, but it's the only way, sort of sensible way of doing it. But, but basically, um, it ends up with a lot of f- false diagnosis of, of obesity and, and overweight in in very young children. And, and there's a measurement you know, measurement programs in in the UK where children are weighed and measured, and and they get letters sent home perfect. You know, children who you just one look at and you say, well, they're not overweight. Um, uh, and the letter will be sent home saying your child is overweight or obese, and you know you you. You know, give you some health advice. That's, that's incredibly stigmatizing and, and and upsetting for for some people. And there's you know any sort of cursory medical examination of that child would say it's completely false. But because it's done, you know, impersonally with data, it's you know, and you know, these sort of things become extremely problematic. Um, but also, extreme, you know, can be extremely harmful. And I think um, you know we don't. Uh, uh, and what you get is you know, sort of you know practitioners or, or, or campaigners saying your ch- parents don't even know their children are obese when, when in, in many cases the reality is that those children aren't obese it's just the way we have of measuring it which is problematic and um, why is there such a stigma around 
being overweight, being fat, being obese? Why is it so vilified? Um, I mean, that is a, a huge, um, a huge question, um, and, and and there's certainly no doubt that it is vilified, and there's no doubt there is an enormous amount of stigma, an enormous amount of prejudice, just as harmful as you know the the most sort of disgusting prejudices in our in our society as it is. You know, people um, are you know less likely to get jobs, they're less likely they're going to be paid less throughout their lifetime. They're they're um, you know, they are sort of abused and attacked and subject to enormous amounts of stress. Um, and you know, the reasons why, I mean, they are very complex, but they are societal. You know, they are they are not, um, you know, it's it's just something inherent within our within our sort of society that, that we, we have this sort of um, need to vilify people based on a, on a certain aesthetic and i think it's a lot to do with misunderstanding um the the one thing that you know hopefully i get across in my book more than anything is that you know when someone is overweight or obese um it's not because of a lack of willpower it's not because of a lack of um you know uh uh, not because they're sort of a, a, a less um, a le- a less ability to control themselves. You know, in, a, in a world where we have almost entirely free access to food, your body weight is one of the most genetically heritable um, characteristics there is. You know, it has a you can measure heritability on twin studies, and it's about seventy percent. Your height is 80 percent um you know many other factors which we consider to be sort of inherent are, are far lower than, than body weight and that's been you know, studied from, from from twin studies it's, it's pretty uh, pretty good data um around that um and yet yet we have this belief um that it's entirely not entirely logical belief but a belief that it's it's if someone is overweight it's a failure of willpower it's you know entirely within their own you know um their own sort of um thrill to 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 sort of be the weight they want to be and and um and, and so it's sort of become this this thing which is an outward physical characteristic which is it is acceptable to look at and and you know, and make judgments about someone's personality um, and uh, you know ability to control themselves. And we live in this sort of uh, neo-liberal society where you know people are you, people are are judged on you know you know everything is pushed back towards the individual. Blame is pushed back towards the individual you know, to, in order to absolve you know corporations and, and governments from blame. And that you know that's that's a very that runs through every facet of society, but but you know this idea that that people who are overweight or obese are um, you know are, are morally failing and, and failing to have enough willpower is kind of cast them as the ultimate failures in, in a neoliberal society, and so they get blamed for you know the NHS being on its knees and they get blamed for you know um, a collapse of morality in, in society and, and and you know get blamed for an enormous amount of, of things especially women um who are blamed for you know uh, you know being poor mothers and and, and, and terrible examples and, and all these sort of these sort of awful things that, that we do and and yeah it's it's i think it's one of the last allowable prejudices of our age um just because there is this 
belief, which is kind of a folk belief, that it is the individual's fault. Even though, you know, if, if, I, mean, I know people who are, who are if, you, if you honestly think that everybody who's overweight or you know, carries around some excess weight is someone who has less willpower than, than you, then, then that's ridiculous. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm probably getting towards BMI of 25, but, I, but I'm not. Um, and that's not because I have this sort of iron willpower. I'm it's just because I'm I'm lucky and I have a genetically determined um, sort of set weight, which we kind of all all, all tend to have. Um, but you know, we don't we don't accept that sort of variability in in body size as we do with other sort of variability of other character, physical characteristics. And if you look at someone, um, if we were sort of taken an average person who who was overweight or, or classed as obese, um, uh. what what kind of barriers do they face um, when, you know, losing that weight? If, you know, you've said, you've mentioned already that, you know, genes play a huge part. What other barriers yeah. are there? I mean, for, from a bio, on biological terms, um, there are there are a lot. You know, essentially, um, our body wants to be a certain weight. And there are certain sort of situations where you can be pushed sort of um, beyond that sort of genetically determined set point. Um, but but our body wants to be you know think, thinks this is a good weight for me to be and that's pretty much um, in most cases genetically determined you know that I'm um, and it might sort of improve in, increase slightly as you get a bit older you know, as many people discover um, um, essentially you know your body sort of thinks here's a good amount of fat for me to have in storage um, in order to you know, to, to maximize my chance of survival um so, and i'm going to sort of get that amount of fat and i'm going to going to try and keep myself there during the course of course of my lifetime um and that's you know that's kind of how 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 it works in very, in very simplistic terms and there's an enormous amount of hormones and, and 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 various control mechanisms which which keep it there you know um mostly controlled by by quite primal sort of parts of the brain that the part that you know part of the brain which which controls your breathing for instance and your your um your your drinking and, and you know the, the very sort of primal sort of things that, about about keeping alive um and so you know essentially your body knows how much fat it has stored in its fat cells we all have some you know and, and different in a variable Across, a, across an entire population, you know, people will, will will have different amounts, and there's reasonably, um, you know, uh, you can you can make sort of um, uh, you can you can sort of imagine how how that would be useful in in different environments in terms of survival. You know, if you're on a desert island um, with very few predators around. Um, but lots of chance, and and you spend you know, your population evolves there for for a period of time, then um, you can imagine that it would be useful during times of plenty to 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 store some excess excess weight because then when there's a time of um of, of little food, then you're more likely to survive the you know the harsh winter or whatever. But if you're um on a you know somewhere more open with lots of fast running predators or or you have to do a lot of hunting of of um things that can run away from you then then it would make sense to kind of store a bit less bit less fat so it's all it's all yeah you know, it's all controlled genetically and, and and there are some very very strong hormonal control mechanisms which keep you at the weight that you are um keeps the same amount of fat stored and as soon as that amount of fat starts to drop in your in your bodies you know, which whatever that amount might be 
Um, as soon as you start to drop below that, your body sort of thinks, oh, God, we're in, we're in a bit of trouble here. Um, you know, we're, we're starving um, and we're going to put in mechanisms in order to, to um, you know, um, make sure that we don't starve. So what it does is obviously makes you extremely hungry, gives you this sort of incredible um, drive and desire for food over, you know, also short term, but also over the long term, you know, sort of makes you very, very driven and food focused, shuts down all all other sort of priorities and focuses your mind on on, on food entirely the whole time. Um, and then it starts to, in order to save energy, because, you know, there's not enough food around, or so it thinks, even if you're on a diet your body your body doesn't know you're on a diet honestly doesn't know know what diet you're following it's it's not a matter of willpower these things happen you know by sort of you know hormonal controls out of your conscious brain um and so you know it starts to shut down your metabolism it starts to you know make you sort of slow you down um slow down your uh, metabolic rate it starts to um do things like um, shut down, just start to shut down your immune system. So, you know, people, a lot of people who've dieted will tell you they become very susceptible to to illness. Um, it starts makes you feel pretty, pretty um, miserable all round, um, liable to, to getting ill, and and can have a sort of profound effect on 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 brain function. Look at starvation studies um, over the years, and you know, people with um, eating disorders, and just people generally on on extreme diets, and they they start to encounter enormous psychological problems um, uh, caused by lack of food. So your body really pushes you into into eating more food and shuts down any sort of excess energy expenditure um, because it thinks it's starving. You know, even though you might not outwardly look as if you're starving um, because your sort of your body's fat reserves are dropping below where it wants to be. It pushes you into this thing. And the, the best explanation I can sort of give of how profound that is, is uh, what I said was before was it was controlled by the same parts of the, 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 the brain, which control breathing, um, so, so you can imagine with breathing, it is, it, yeah, it's, it, it's voluntary, you know, you have control over when, when you breathe, um, just like you have control over when you eat. And so when people say, oh, it's all about willpower, you know, you just need to stop eating. Yes, you can stop eating for a period of time. Um, but the only difference between breathing and eating is that eating is, is happens over a much longer time scale than breathing. So you can control your breathing, but you know, if air is there, eventually you're going to breathe, um, and just the same with, with, with food, just over weeks rather than rather than rather than minutes. Um, you know, if food is there and you are hungry, eventually you will eat. You, know, you can stop yourself eating for a period of time. You can lose weight, but you know it becomes incredibly difficult without a sort of real profound change. It becomes incredibly difficult. And you know that's just the physical things. You know, societal things are, are a whole another layer on top of that. Yeah. So you know, there's there's things that if you're in a certain community, you know, if you, or if you're a certain socioeconomic status, that's going to affect your diet and thus affect your weight, right? Yeah. Yeah. To, to, yeah. To, to an extent, um, certainly. Um, and there are many reasons why, and, and this is where it becomes, you know, really, really quite. Um, complex because you know what I just said then was it's pretty much determined by genetics um, and uh, you know I think it's seventy percent heritability of of body weight um, you know f- from from twin studies which is you know when you look at sort of sets of identical twins and non identical twins you know identical twins share all their genes and 
and and and their environment neither to share half their genes and, and the whole of their environment so um you can see how heritable body weight is and, and the identical twins are far more likely to be the same same weight so that's how you sort of work that out um and yes it's i mean there's there's two things here um one is if you you know obviously to an extent if if people are are, are are starving if people don't have enough food yes they're, they're unlikely to be to, to be overweight because you know the, the, there are sort of physical things that that, that you know that, that stop people so you know in in, in countries where, where lots of people are struggling for food then you won't get the same proportion of people who are overweight but when a generally an entire population has enough food then um then you have then have a variable body weight which is becomes far more heritable it becomes far more determined dependent on genetics as soon as you start feeding people adequately and yeah one of the most remarkable things about the modern food system is we now in in countries like ours almost everybody has enough food to eat it might not be the best quality diet but they have they're they're very rarely struggling to eat enough calories every day and i know there are people who are you know no 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 um you know i I write extensively about about food poverty but but um you know very few people don't have enough food very very few people don't have enough calories to eat over a really long period of time um and so you know generally then you, you you're body weight becomes far more sort of expressed genetically but there are there are um you know i said it's quite heritable but it's not entirely heritable there are there is other stuff on top of that and um you know the socioeconomic um argument is 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 you know it is it is strong um but it is not quite as simple as people make out you know people on low incomes do that there are there is a sort of an uplift in terms of people on low incomes and and, and obesity. Um, reasons for that are far more complex than than, than we might imagine. Um, for a start, it's, it's a relationship which only really um, to, to only to a large extent happens with women, um, which which is perhaps quite surprising. You know, men in um, higher and lower socioeconomic groups are there's not that much difference in terms of their um, in terms of their sort of um, BMIs and their their the number, the percentage which which are, are overweight or obese, um, so it's, it's far more prevalent in, in women, um, which is um, I think is perhaps unusual. Um, you know, d- does that mean that, that men are eating, men in lower socioeconomic groups are eating a better diet than women? I really doubt it. You know, I, I think probably the opposite is probably true. Um, and, and so in my mind, it is far more about. You know, rather than the the, the food environment and diet, it's far more about the lived experience of of poverty and and which it, which tends to be much harder for women. You know, women tend to be far more stigmatised. They tend to be the carers for children. Um, they tend to you know just have a harder time um, living in in. Um, on on low incomes and in poverty and, and, and tend to be far more stigmatised and you just look at the way and it's probably slightly better now but not not good at all the way that single mothers are stigmatised within with, you know working class single mothers are stigmatised by reality TV programmes and, and, and just by newspapers and society in general um, so you know the experience, the lived experience of poverty is, is probably considerably harder for women. Um, so how does that affect their their their, their body weight? Well, there, there are a number of ways in which it can. Um, you know, stress is um, you know, living under 
extreme stress is 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 likely to cause um, people to have um, sort of aberrant eating patterns to be pushed into sort of disordered eating patterns of some sort you know overeating using food as a comfort in order to cope with that stress it's often one of the very few things that um, that uh, you know people very few pleasures that people can afford you know when, when you can't afford to go on a nice holiday this year um, you know who, who are we to say tell people you know just having a some some nice bit of food that someone enjoys is, is perhaps a coping mechanism is a coping strategy for for a difficult difficult life so i think there are sort of <coughs> aberrant eating eating things uh, and um ca- caused by this sort of level of stress that people are living under which is obviously it's much harder especially in a society that we have where you know so much is focused upon you know uh, uh, self-determinism you know you're, you're you're expected to lift yourself out of poverty um and 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 that you know that society that we have which without wishing to be get political but you know socialism used to be about about rising up with your class you know that's a traditional tenet of socialism you know um sort of coming together with the people around you and, and rising up the whole of your society now it's very much we're very much more individualistic and, and i think that's very stressful for people um, living in in uh, on on low incomes or or you know in those sort of environments and then it's that sort of level of stress i think that which is the hardest thing because you look at the local economies in 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 most working class places in parts of the uk um a lot of that economy is based around relieving that stress in some way often in ways that are that are not ideal for people's health um so i, I think so there is this relationship between obesity and and um, and, and um, poverty. Um, I said it's stronger for women, but I think far more important um, and far more significant is the relationship between ill health and and um, poverty. Um, you know, you look at the population in the in the UK. You know, the, the richest part of the UK, I think Westminster. I think. Um, and, and and the poorest parts of the UK, you know, poorest parts of, um, say say so somewhere some some parts of Glasgow, the difference in life expectancy is about ten years, and the difference in healthy life expectancy is about twenty five years. Um, you know, and that and that that might have you know the the obesity might be having an influence on that, but but um, you know it it, it doesn't explain any, anything like that sort of difference um the, the small amounts of uh, differences in body weight which are mostly mostly just from women it doesn't explain that at all you know and the biggest things we should be talking about is the health inequalities rather than focusing on people's weight because obviously people's health is far more important than their weight and their bmi you know there may be a relationship between them but let's try and let's try and make people healthier rather than focusing too much on on making them feel bad for not being the right weight and people always seem to be thinking about their weight, yeah. their diets, their health. Um, what, what do you say to people who are planning on going on a diet? Um, yeah, it's never, it's never for me to tell people what, what they shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't do. If someone wants to lose weight, that's fine. I, I think, I think there's lots of us could do with, um, you know, e- eating a better diet. Um, I, I think that's that's a, that's a really positive thing to aim for. To try and, you know, most of us don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. You know, most of us 
if you eat fish, you know, it's nice to eat oily fish sort of once a week. Generally, that's pretty good health advice. Nice to eat lots of whole grain carbohydrates. It's a good idea to eat lots of beans and pulses. Those are the sort of good things that almost any anyone who talks about food and health, you know, eat more fruits and vegetables, eat a variety of different things, stuff like that. So stuff like that is great. You know, I think people could do with improving their diet sometimes. Um, I, I worry about any, always worry about any diet where, where someone says. Um, don't eat this. Don't do that. Don't you know, cut this thing out. I, I, I would always try to get people to, to, to avoid that sort of behavior unless it's for very you know, definite medical reasons, um, you know, like a like like your, your celiac or something like that. Then I, I would always worry of anyone saying I'm going to cut cut this out or, or cut that out, you know, because I just think that's that's a that's a that's an, an unhealthy way to think about food. You know, the best way to think about improving your diet is saying do lots get lots of good stuff into your diet and eat lots of nice things and eat more variety and eat lots you know so i'd really recommend doing that i mean but and there will be people out there who will want to lose weight um and you know, it's not for me to tell people what what weight they should want to be um but what i would say is you know always when, when people are doing that just analyze what it is they want to the, the reasons why you want to lose weight because if it's about improving your health that's fine that that's understandable but you'd be far the, all the evidence says you'd be far better um if, if your worry is your health you'd be far better you know ensuring you do some exercise and eating a varied and interesting diet along the lines i, I just described actually um and you know do, you know, not smoking and not drinking to excess and doing all those things those, those are the best things you can do for improving your health there's, there's huge amount of evidence that those, all those things will do a lot lot for your to improve your health uh, but I think the problem is when people decide they're going to do those things in order to lose weight, because sometimes doing that stuff might not, certainly over the short term, might not mean you lose weight. You might lose weight, but you might not. But it doesn't matter because you'll still be improving your health. So if your worry is, is about improving your health, make sure you're focusing on doing that rather than thinking, I'm going to lose weight in order to improve my health. Because there's lots you can do to improve your health. Um, you know, there's lots of unhealthy ways to lose weight as well. You know, so you shouldn't think about the two as being so sort of tied in together. You know, there might be aesthetic reasons why people want to want to um, want to lose weight too, and 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 that's fine. Um, but I, w- I just I would be you know, I would also think about what else you know what the what the what the issue really is because often people are people are, are, are looking at losing weight as being the solution to all their problems rather than thinking about what those problems are and, and thinking about broader ways to address them we kind of use weight as a proxy for almost everything and people put their lives on hold um before they've reached you know because they want to reach a certain weight and yeah you know, and that that's enormously problematic you you should be looking at doing behaviours to improve your life, rather than rather than behaviours to change your weight because you think that when your weights change, your life will improve. You know, uh, so I just sort of recommend that that sort of uh, <laughs> that sort of approach rather than saying this this diet will help you lose X number of pounds and then you will be happy because you've lost that many pounds. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder how much of what you do now and what you write about comes from the fact that you did a science degree is that right um yeah i think i think it does i I think i think that helps um i I think um it helps to have that sort of background and and understand and be interested in science um i think that's more more important than than you know that i remember details of the krebs cycle um but uh (laughs) because i don't 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 test me on it but um i i um 
I think probably more important is the fact that I'm I'm a chef um, and I love food and I love eating um, and I love the the things that food can do for for us um, as individuals and as groups of people and, and you know the way it can bring us together and the way it can sort of um, be really important in our celebrations and and and, and you know the, the value that it has and the way it creates memories and the way it actually sort of stimulates your memories. I yeah you know, I, I absolutely love food and I love cooking. I think that's probably more significant because you know what what I try to do is um strip away the sort of I, I worry that so many people for so many people you know food has become this sort of battleground this thing they really worry about and they have huge anxiety about and and, and that's just stripped away you know that, that that's stripped away so much of the pleasure and enjoyment and, and important things that food can do for us as groups of people and and and, and can do for our for our health and when i when i say what food can do for our health i mean you know in bringing us together with family and friends and and and, and people we love and and you know sort of enhancing our celebrations and that sort of thing and that's really important things that food can do and i think when you when you people get so you know obsessed with with um you know sort of guilt and shame and feel like they're doing stuff wrong you, you get away from that so really it's the fact that i food is 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 something i i love very much is, is probably a bigger thing and the science and the understanding of science and the lots of sort of scientific context that I have as well um, is the thing that enables me to strip away that guilt and make food a, a place where people can find mm. pleasure in again. And I really want to know what's your um, favourite meal? <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm British, so it's probably roast dinner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fairly simple. I, I know. I think. I think. Um, you know. I think there are. My, my my view about food is that food is, is important um but it you know more important is the context in which you eat it and you know roast, roast dinner is sort of family and it's togetherness and the, you know sort of warm warm memories um of, of that sort of thing and, and that's always going to be those sort of meals are always going to be the the, the 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 important um ones that, that that you that you really love and that that, that you know so things that have sort of a, an emotional resonance for you. So yeah, I mean, a very very simple roast dinner. I think would be be sort of the best thing because it's kind of one of the most you know, moments for for me. It's sort of this moment of togetherness and, and and continuity in the week. That was Anthony Warner, whose book The Truth About Fat: Why Obesity Is Not That Simple is out now. Let us know what you think of the show with a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if, like most of us these days, you need a little something delivered to your door, we're offering half-price subscriptions for BBC Science Focus magazine. Just head over to buysubscriptions.com forward slash podcast 2020 to take up this great offer. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.